You are now listening to The Jason D'Amico Show. Greetings, folks. Welcome back to The Jason D'Amico Show. And it's good to be back uh, after about a month of just craziness and other projects. And our guest who's with us today is really, really special. I think you're going to get a, a, a real kick out of what she's done and what she's doing. And and I, I think she's really going to challenge us with some really cool opportunities to think differently and, and try some different things out for those of you that are in meditation, affirmations, uh, mindfulness. Our guest is a mindfulness and body language coach and speaker who is a top expert in the Unified Mindfulness System developed by Shinzen Young, which she used when working with Harvard Medical School. On a brain study and in the meditation recordings she made for a Carnegie Mellon stress reduction study. Her face may be familiar from the 30 years of playing moms on TV. And it was through her Yale School of Drama training as an actor that she became fascinated with the power of body language and laughter to affect how we think and feel. And she teaches this work regularly at UCLA Arts and Healing. She specializes in helping people optimize challenges into opportunities, let go of stressful negative thinking and anxiety, and rewiring their relationships to food and eating and create even more ease and well-being in their lives. And as she'll say, and she'll talk about more, laughter is involved. Her website is strategic-mindfulness.com. Uh, Please welcome to the show, Ms. Stephanie Nash. <laughs> Thank you so much. That was wonderful. Thank you. <laughs> so it's so cool to have you on here. And uh, for those that are listening and tuning in, uh, we met through Clubhouse randomly. Uh, I believe it was your chat room. And I think you were hosting with one or two other uh, reputable moderators on there. Maybe it was, was it just yourself? I think you came in uh, and caught the last 10 minutes of a meditation. I was guiding That's in a right. room that is just me. It's just me by myself kind of leading. And I guide that twice a week. And then you stayed around and talked and contributed and, uh, offered and yeah it was really it was interesting and and then later you went oh i've got this podcast yeah. <laughs> you didn't even hear the whole meditation <laughs> <laughs> yeah you, i guess i i that's right now it. now yeah. now you're jogging my memory i jumped in and it was pretty quiet and i think it was just you there's about 30 or 40 people in the room and it was just really great stuff you know things that i've learned from actor to actor here actor to actress we we go through these tools, we go through these uh, these exercises, you know, on how to become more present. Mm -hmm. And from an early age, I learned this, but it's amazing how you just continue to level up and level up as time goes on and how uh, certain life circumstances will teach you more about presence. And I really I really just felt your commitment to the craft in acting as well as mindfulness and just really glad to have you on Stephanie. Thank you. It's a delight to be here. And, and you get points for having a meditation teacher on your show. You know? Absolutely. That's gotta be a first, right? <laughs> uh, actually, I don't think so. We've had a few really? on. Yeah. Oh. I, I, I'm all about, you oh, know, holistic great. medicine and, oh. and cognitive behavioral therapy. I'm all about it. 
Oh, you get points. You get points. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's let's dive into your beginning stages. I'd love to hear. I mean, again, for those of you that are tuning in, definitely check out Stephanie's website, YouTube. Just just saturate yourself with her information because she has such an extensive background in this. You went to the uh, you went to Duke for your undergrad in psychology which is uh, very admirable, and then went to Yale for your MS, MFA, excuse me, uh, would love to kind of take some steps back and talk about what was going on before that. Uh, when did you find out that you really had a, an affinity to this type of work? Uh, to the type of work you're talking about, acting? Is it what you're yeah, talking acting, about? And, then, and then kind of leading up to mm-hmm. learning about body language and the fascination right. of that. And- um, I come from a family of musicians, actually. Okay. Uh, so I was, um, everyone in my family plays at least three instruments. The joke is you have to audition to get in. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, but it was mostly classical, although my sister went on to become a conductor and do jazz bands and things. But um, so I was oboe, sax and flute. And wow. so I we we did state solo competitions and, you know, that kind of stuff. So I was used to the in performing that we were an artsy family in that way. And I think when I went to Duke, I started getting leads and plays and I went, oh, that would be fun. Uh, maybe I should do that. And I remember my mom said, well, if in five years you don't get work, then you can go do something else. And then right out of Duke, I I did uh, I, I did Duke in less than four. So they gave me a year of grad school, like my my parents, it's like, you get four years of college, that's it. We're done. <laughs> and, you know, wow. So my fourth year was a graduate uh, at NYU School of Arts. I'm still on a leave of absence. I think they know I'm not coming back. And um, and that, so was that Tish then it was before Tish was undergrad then. Okay. I don't know okay. it still is. This was the graduate school of arts down in the East Village. Okay. Uh, you know, and near Kiev. And I don't know if people, New Yorkers on the line here. Uh, <laughs> but um, but then right after that, the year after that, I got on a Broadway tour of a show called Barnum. So I went, well, I guess I'm going to make a living here. Wow. You know, and, I'm, Very cool. and at NYU, they had a class where you learned juggling and plate spinning. And I played all these musical instruments. So, you know, and I could act. Oh, that was extra there. You know? <laughs> and so that, you know, so that kind of got me into the acting. Then I kind of struggled in New York for a while. And then I went to Yale probably seven years later. I'm trying to think. Uh, then I went to Yale grad school. I think I did a summer in England and said, you know, that guy from Yale is better than the Brits, you know? <laughs> and and, uh, and then I went to Yale for, for three years and kind of went back to New York and did stuff there. Um, so that's kind of how I got into the acting from Duke. I just kind of went, Okay, let me try, you know, kind of like Tammy goes to New York, like, all right, sure, this this can work. This can be fun. Not that I didn't struggle in wait tables and, you know, like I worked in Ryan McFadden's on St. Patrick's Day and survived, you know, it's (laughs) a tray over your head. Is it, you know, it's like you got to log in that time as an actress, Uh, you know, it's like, oh, Oh, actress, when they're calling for a waiter, they go, oh, actress. You know? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But uh, yeah. And so I did that for many years. And it was so that would have been uh, then probably 10 years later. I'm trying to think of the years we're talking about here. 10, 12 years later is when the spiritual stuff began. It was kind of after coming out of Yale, 
actually. Interesting. I came out of Yale during a Screen Actors Guild strike and a Writers Guild strike. So it was not a good time to enter the business. Yeah. It kind of led to a lot of depression. And I, I uh, had other things in life. People I love die. Various things happen. It was a big kind of crash. And after that, I really kind of spent a couple of years saying, okay, let me work on who I am as a person. I guess, you know, <laughs> if I have to. And um, then that led to a, a summer doing Shakespeare and Company that led to a kind of experience that people talk about in spiritual worlds where every, your perception changes, everything shifted in a certain kind of way. Sure. And I had to leave New York then. It was like I didn't have skin on my body anymore. It was like it was like I was so sensitive. It was like developing the ability to hear an ant crawl up the wall and you're living in a construction zone. So I had to kind of move out here and figure out what what was happening, what was shifting. And for I spent about six years uh not quite able to act in the same, like I wasn't working quite in the same way because I, I had to relearn how to function in a certain kind of way. And then I found my meditation teacher out here. And um, then I thought he was, I thought what he was teaching could change the world. It wasn't just close your eyes and watch your breath. He was teaching a way of tuning into our sensory experience, everything you see, hear, feel, taste, smell, which is how you know who you are right. <laughs> and what you're doing and what your problems are and what your history, like to, to break all that down and pull it apart and how it comes. Cause with acting, you're putting it together. You're putting together the problems. Every character you play as an actor has a problem, right? They've got an issue. They're, they're creating the suffering. The meditators are trying to take apart. And so I thought, you know, in North Carolina, where I lived with at Duke or in Ohio, the boys would take cars apart and put them back together all the time. And you're like, is there something wrong with the car? And they're like, no, no, I just put it together and take it apart. And I thought, gee, don't you have something better to do with your time? But then if your car breaks down, you want to hang around one of those guys. And then I realized I was one of those guys between acting where you put together the parts that create the suffering wow. and meditation where you take apart the parts and they're not the same. One deals with content and one doesn't. I thought, oh, I've become one of those car guys <laughs> for the parts of ourselves that come together and create our sense of self and suffering. And I, I, saw, I saw an interesting quote, actors creating suffering that most uh, meditators are, are trying to get rid of. And that falls along. I saw that somewhere on your site yeah. and that kind of falls in the same. It's vein what I'm saying now. Yeah. yeah. Like it's, it's like you learn what creates suffering and how to take it apart. And it's, it's not the creating as an actor, you go into content. You say it's raining outside. You just had a baby. Your lover just slept with your best friend you're you know you you don't have money to pay rent you have you you go to the stories and you build those up to create a complex human being who loves this person who doesn't love them back who who has these wants and needs and so you're using the story and with mindfulness you go to the sensory experience and you let the story go and you just say i've got rather than saying i'm feeling fear because of this and sadness because of this you just say oh in my body i feel this sensation in my chest 
let me let that flow. Then the story that was putting logs in the fire of it and making it more and more intense, you let that go. And then as you process the emotion in the body, you discover the mind has opened up and can consider other possibilities of other solutions. So it was just one way you're dealing with content and the other way you're dealing with sensory experience. But they're the same ingredients, just with your flashlight on them in a different way. And uh, yeah. It was, it was, it's, it, it's been an interesting journey as a meditation teacher because I don't know any meditation teachers who are working actresses. I, I just did an audition two days ago. You know, it's like, right, I'm, right. I'm working, look me up on IMDb. I'm, I'm still doing it. That's my pension. That's my healthcare. And I'm now making the transition as I'm aging out of being a white woman in Hollywood, which probably happens at the age of 40. Actually, I've just been cheating it for a while. because <laughs> I, I look younger than my age, so I get away with yeah. it. But um, yeah, I'm looking now to, uh, well, actually it all happened one day. I had an audition. I was teaching film. I was a professor where I taught film directors to work with actors. So I taught my film directing class. I had an audition. I was helping an actor get on Dragnet. Okay. <laughs> audition coaching. And I helped a meditation client change the relationship to the voice in their head. And at the end of the day, I sat there and thought, wow, that's four very different things. But I felt like I was doing the same thing all day. Like I was just saying, okay, here's what I know about that, right? It just, it felt like I was doing the same thing all day, except one of those four was so much more satisfying than all the others. Mm. If I'm helping someone change the relationship to that voice in the head, that's a life thing. That's not, hi, I just got on a TV show. That's not, hi, I just helped these actors in this moment, right? It's not like, oh, I got to do an audition. You know, it was, it was deeper. And I thought, I don't know how much longer I'm going to be on the planet, but that just struck me as what I should be doing. So for the past, that was probably 10, 15 years ago, maybe. So since then, acting has been my straight job. <laughs> and this has been my love. And this has been where I say, I, I can contribute. It's like today, you said, what do you want to do? I just want to contribute. I show up on Clubhouse just to, Clubhouse is great because it's so raw. You get people who just oh, press yeah. the button and ended up in a room and they're like, what is meditation? <laughs> you know, and you, you get to work with, you know, you get to be people's first introduction to exploring another world. But um, I just digressed into four different. No, directions. it's great. It's great. <laughs> well, you just kind of asked the next question that I had, which I was going to ask you, which is in your in your terms. And uh, I, I checked out some of the videos on YouTube with uh, the Harvard study. I'd love to talk about that at some point and and, and get more in depth with that. I think a good place to start though, is really what you just asked. Uh, hypothetically with, with somebody coming in, in the clubhouse, they don't know exactly what meditation is. What in your terms, the Stephanie Nash terms, what is meditation in your opinion and in your experience? So, well, there's what is meditation and what is mindfulness and some people, cause mindfulness became cool. Like I've been teaching for 20 years and it was not cool when I started and I was trying to get everyone to do it. Like yeah, yeah. meditation for actors. And they just went, will there be a casting director there? And I went, 
no, no, not really. Uh, but so meditation is like a gym where you develop muscles and there are different kinds of meditation. There's TM where you just chant a mantra that doesn't mean anything that you probably $5,000 for. Yeah. yeah. And you get a guru and, you know, you have, you have a mantra, you chant, uh, there, you might have visualizations, uh, a lot, a lot, a majority of meditations have people watch the breath. Uh, mindfulness is one that tunes into sensory experience. Um, and so there's different kinds of meditation and all of them will cultivate two skills. One is the ability to focus, put your attention where you want it, when you want it. And the other is equanimity, the ability to let go of things, the ability to chill and accept things. And we need the equanimity button in a big way right now. And so all meditations will kind of help that because in my language, inherent to, to concentration, the other side of it is equanimity. To be able to focus on something, you got to let go of everything else. So mm. there's a letting go inherent in concentration that I don't hear other people talking about, but that's my experience. What mindfulness does that no other meditation does, you can do TM forever and chant this one syllable over and over again for decades. And I have people coming to me saying, I've been doing TM since the 60s. Is there something more? And I go, yeah, because they got this great concentration. I'm going, hmm, let's apply that here. <laughs> mindfulness, you're tuning into your sensory experience and then you get insights into what is the nature of pain? How do thoughts and feelings arise? You get to really break down what we are and how and how this comes together and pulls it apart so that we specialize in people with physical pain, but physical pain, emotional pain to end suffering is, is a big thing. But I think of mindfulness, not just for Buddhism talks about ending suffering all the time. And I think they get a little bleak, but I think the Mindfulness also takes us into this rich enjoyment and satisfaction. You know, when I taught eating, I'd have people close their eyes and I say, you want to taste your food times 10, close your eyes, you know, and everyone goes, oh, wow. And they go, wow, I was more satisfied with five bites there than I used to be with a whole meal. What do I do with the rest of my food? And I go, okay, that's not a problem, you know, put it away, <laughs> bring it out later. You know, you know, you, it's one more meal you don't have to make, but but mindfulness can have your experience of sights and sounds and touches be richer and more satisfying because we think we want more pleasure, but we really want more satisfaction. We think we want less pain, but we really want less suffering. And mm. mindfulness is the vehicle for that. So mindfulness is a kind of meditation. And I think of meditation as uh, the gym, I, I mentioned that that's the eyes closed formal practice where I close my eyes and, and, and I close my eyes so that more real estate of my consciousness can soak into what I'm feeling in my feet or my body or whatever it is. Um, and that's where you develop the skills to make your life better. You can also meditate while walking your dog. You can meditate while driving. You can meditate while doing an activity. So meditation isn't just a formal practice with the eyes closed. So that's my, my definition is, is meditation can be, in fact, yoga poses were designed to be meditated, right? So you can meditate upside down on a trapeze, you know, which I like doing trapeze. Hanging <laughs> upside down is really fun, really good for your back. Um, so that's kind of my definition of, 
of meditation would be the the, the means, the decision to focus, the commitment to a period of time, whether you're doing an activity, you're quiet, where you're going to focus in a certain way and you're going to cultivate skills. And mindfulness uh, cultivates extra skills, that sensory clarity that the watching your breath or mantra doesn't. Is that a satisfactory? Oh, it's, fan- it's fantastic. <laughs> uh, and I think, Shinzen, I saw some videos today when I was doing some research and he was talking about dead times become magic times. And I thought that I wrote that down as a, a pretty notable quote here, which is really what you just touched on is, and I'd love to kind of talk a little bit more about that. Like, for example, driving, right. Or, or waiting in a waiting room. What, what have you found to be very productive in those times, maybe from a maintenance point of view, as far as mindfulness, is that kind of an accurate way of putting it? And, and yes, yes. And that's a, you know, what I so appreciate about your question is um, because it's not about what do I do with my eyes closed? It's like, how is my life better? How can I integrate this into my life? And I'm fanatic about that. I'm saying if the only mindfulness you're doing is when your eyes are closed on the cushion, you're missing, you're missing a whole world out here. Yeah, yeah. And I remember when I first discovered this integration into my life, that every moment has a sensorial aspect to it that we can tune into it. And I remember I grew up in a small town in Ohio with 4,000 people and everyone was bored and everyone just walked, sat around going, we're so bored. You know, there was no McDonald's or movie theater. And my goal was to never be bored again. And I realized with mindfulness and I went, oh, I'm never going to be bored again. There's no such thing as waiting anymore. Right. Because, you know, and I used to think of the law in New York to say, oh, I'm going to go mail a letter. I'm going to go to the post office or the bank. You were going to go stand in line for two hours. Uh, you know, that there was always a queue for those things. Like you don't say, oh, I'll go take that to the post office for you. That, you know, it's like saying, I'll give you my firstborn child. It was, <laughs> like, you know, it was. <laughs> A, a lot movie theaters you waited in line when i came out to california i went there isn't a line around the block for this to get into this movie theater you can just walk in and sit down wow you know i was yeah. like this is amazing yeah. so so back to your question you're waiting in line there is so much going on you could for example uh, tune in you could do a body scan you could feel the sensations in your body you could notice irritation oh I'm, oh, I'm going to be late. Okay, where do you feel that? Can you relax around that? Mm -hmm. To have the first time people experience an unpleasant emotion breaking up into a kind of pleasant wave of energy, they don't forget it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Oh, we can do that. And I say it's designed to do that. Look at babies, look at animals. The baby's crying for its life and you put the nipple in the mouth and the baby isn't saying, and I'm really mad about last Thursday. Okay. Not happening. They it's released. They feel it fully and then they're present. And when we can start really tuning in in any given moment, what can you hear right now? Uh, Like if you have a voice in your head, that's going on and on with negative thinking, right. And you're going, Oh, how do I stop it? The same part of the brain that hears that voice is hearing sounds around you. You could slide out and hear, you could slide out and hear the sounds you hate. You could slide out and hear the sounds of traffic or leaf blowers or sirens or, you know, 
sounds that we think of as stressful or that annoying ticking clock. And that those sounds become your refuge to unplug the voice in your head. And so that changes. And the other thing I like doing with sounds is changing people's relationship to sound, where you just let the body relax and let the sounds flow through. A leaf blower was coming into a meditation class I was teaching one time, and they're illegal in Santa Monica, but I heard one coming. And I was in the middle of a long meditation, and I thought, okay, I'm going to shift what we do before that leaf blower comes. And I was ringing the bell. I said, feel the ringing of the bell through your body. Feel this. Just have the body be relaxed. Let all sounds come through. Okay, we're going to have a big sound now. Just let it go through. Let it be a massage. You know, I said, you can get the same massage from a leaf blower that you can from Beethoven. Okay, or your rock favorite rock song. You can't just let it vibrate on through. And we did, and it went on through. And then the birds came and were chirping. And at the end of that meditation, and I must have guided 45, 50 minutes of meditation. And there were people in that room who had never meditated. Some had meditated for decades. And afterwards, everyone was saying, Oh, did you feel that truck? Wasn't that great? What about that airplane? Did you feel the airplane? You know, and so these are sounds that we usually think of as annoyances that they were like going, oh, wasn't that great? Oh, that leaf blower was thrilling, you know? And so that shift, that's the kind of shift. And at first it's an exploration, but then it becomes a paradigm shift. So anytime you're waiting in line or what was the other example you gave? If you're waiting in line or something. Oh, else. driving. I driving. Think, yeah. Well, driving is a slightly different one. I'll, I'll do that one in a second. But any anytime you're waiting or I was in a SAG screening of one of the Matrix movies, it was the second or third one. And it was just nothing but a bunch of violent scenes of crashes and and, and, and the, because it was the, the director's guild, the speakers were just, it was sense of round and they were cranked up so high and it hurt. My ears hurt. It was so loud. And I was just in this pain and I had my hands on my ears like, oh, please make it stop. And you can't legally leave a SAG screening if you're an actor because you have to be there and support actors. And so I ended up. <laughs> You do. And so I just ended up relaxing and allowing the sound to flow through. It was one of the deepest meditations I'd ever had, Wow! you know, to just transform that. Driving's different. If you're going to operate heavy machinery, you limit what you tune into to be things that are necessary to operate that machinery. Yeah, I've heard of this before. If you're driving, you're, you're working with just what you see out and you're just seeing out what's helpful, pedestrians, other traffic not the billboards on Sunset Boulevard. If you're you're hearing the sounds of traffic, you're feeling the wheel, the vibration of the car, and you're meditating. And if you go off into thinking, nope, come back to this, that, that see, hear, feel. And even though you're meditating, you're more present than everyone else who's texting and eating burritos, right? So <laughs> you're, you'll be the safest person on the road. But that's just an example of how to transform uh, daily potentially suffering experiences into ones that cultivate a clarity that uh, help make your life better, help you be more present and happy. And uh, oh, we have dogs outside. <laughs> you can hear the dogs fighting outside. I so feel. I, the I feel the bark. <laughs> I feel the bark. I gotta. I gotta say, there was this one word that just popped in my mind when you were talking about all that and it's just it's such great i'm just gonna let you talk and talk and talk because it's, 
just so good. I really, I, I don't. Say, what happened? I just let her talk and talk. <laughs> the the one word is resistance uh, that that came to mind, and obviously this is a way, from what I'm hearing, a way to solve that problem. If it is a problem, maybe the whole solution is to not see it as a problem. But if you could expand a little bit on resistance, because that seems like that's a big thread that was woven into that. Yeah. into all, all those concepts. Yes, it was. And you could say resistance is the opposite of equanimity. Mm, Big. That's big. They've got four noble truths. The first one is there's suffering. The second one is this word that gets uh, uh, translated as craving causes suffering. It, 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 it actually translates more directly as unsatisfactoriness, but they uh, call it craving or aversion. So I want this, I'm going to hold on to it. I don't want, I'm going to push it away. Right. And that's a kind of resistance. Or I like to use the word, someone says, I, I use tension in the body is a flag down on the play for that football flag down. Yeah. Often yeah, yeah. A yellow card, but you know, whatever your sport is, I'll use that analogy. So resistance is key to suffering. If you're if you're having a hard time, if you're upset about something, if you're uh, in physical pain, emotional pain, anything you've got, the, the source of your suffering is ninety nine percent chance resistance. It could be could be called resistance or this unsatisfactoriness. Where we and when we you start resisting your own sensory experience, you're having a war with your actual sense of being here. And that's where people um, to survive. And they do this at a young age and they say, ah, that didn't happen. I'm going to put that down in a drawer. You know, I feel this emotion. This emotion is overwhelming. Can't feel it. Okay. It's not happening. Denial goes in a drawer. And so what happens is emotions, nature gives us emotions to motivate and direct our behavior, Mm. right? But when we put it down in a drawer, no, it didn't happen. What happens is it distorts our perception and thus our behavior becomes less effective and efficient because we don't have a clear perception. So one thing mindfulness is good with, and when I speak speak at psychology conferences, a lot of my clients are psychologists, actually, uh, but they come to say, I want to use it in my practice. But we say, right. let's use it with you so you have a, a sense of this. But it works hand in hand. Psychology can reach down and get a fish and say, look, this fish is down there. Mindfulness can help you digest it, you know, and help you process it so that it's not sitting here and you're mad at your parents for the next 20 years. Right? <laughs> That's good. Right? So the resistance is really key. You, you really honed in on that quite accurately. And a big part of uh, when people get deep into a spiritual practice, it, I would never, when I was in New York, I would even use the word spiritual. Like that's those people. Uh, but, you know, into a practice, I used to say we're evolving as human beings. That's what we're right. doing. It's an right. evolution. So I don't want to get into the spurt, as we said in the South, spiritual. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, just in terms of when some people really get to it, they start to use words like surrender, which if someone's ever dealt with violation of some kind, that's a dangerous word. So you have to watch your languaging when you're trying to help people and say, 
is there, you know, I'll come in and say, is there, is there some tension you can let go of? Is there something you can let go of right now? Like I, I make it kind of a game. Uh, I think it's because of my acting background. I, I think it should be, and maybe my personality, I think it should be fun. I think there's not enough playful. I think there's not enough, you know, I do laughing meditation. I think we need to, uh, not just tune into what's suffering so that we can let go of it, but deliberately use our brain to focus on what's pleasant that we're not noticing and develop new neural pathways in the brain. So we notice those as loudly as we notice the problem. Oh, that's good. So it's a brain rewiring that I'm interested in. There's a, there's a big thing in the Christian community, um, faith-based community where it's kind of that paradigm of if, you know, God, if you're not going to take the situation away, then change me. So it doesn't, it doesn't bother me anymore. It doesn't affect me anymore. And it's amazing. The, the universe, whichever way we look at this, it really is the same thing, you know, whether it's through prayer, whether it's through meditation, whether it's through mindfulness, it, 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 it's, it's amazing how the human, the human yeah, condition and that, is, yeah. and that creates a kind of mindset. Like when I yeah. was in the South and, you know, it was all Baptist. Every, there was every church was like, we went to sing in a Baptist church and we went to six Baptist church, trying to find which one it was. And we couldn't find it uh, because they were all Baptist churches. But having been down there, there is a lovely way in which, and it's different because I grew up in a Protestant, which is a very different kind of flavor, but down there, right. the church had this community and this, and this momentum of a kind of loving mindset, you know? And so it can mindset. be mindset yeah. as well. Like how you think about things, people go, is the glass half full? Is the glass half empty? And the mindset helps people not resist, helps people for forgiveness is the hardest. Gratitude's easiest, forgiveness is hardest, but helps people forgive or let go. And so the mindset can be a kind of mantra that can help people do that. What I like about mindfulness is I don't have to convince you to believe something or to think anything. Right. I can have you tune into what you feel in this moment. <laughs> and, and I like it because for me, mindfulness is working with the hardware of the computer. Yeah. Mindset is working with the software. It's a program we're running. And so there are a lot of really helpful programs. And there's a lot, lots of times I get into mindset sometimes, you know, like That's I good. That's let's really name good. the voice in my head, Mr. Bill. Okay. Like I use humor for my mindsets, but right, you know, right there are ways you can think about things that help you shift out of a habit pattern of resistance and locking and suffering. But mindfulness goes to your sensory experience. So it's the hardware. Everyone tastes, everyone hears, everyone feels, everyone smells, everyone, you know, has mental images and internal talk. So it's a way we're wired as human beings. And I love the efficiency and uh, you bypass belief or faith, and then you can run any belief or faith program on it. We have a, I have a lot of Catholics I work with, and mm -hmm. sometimes I can translate things in, in that kind of paradigm. I'd say Catholic, Jewish, uh, uh, I have a lot of Hindus, a lot of people from India, you know, and so it what I like about mindfulness is it transcends any mindset or any faith and, but you can put any, it works well. It plays well with anything. A Catholic charities of LA has brought me in to teach mindfulness four times. 
And the first time the woman came up to me, she, she said, there's going to be three or four priests in the back of the room. They just have to make sure you're not teaching my, a Buddhism. And I said, oh, I'm not. And she said, yeah, but they need to watch it. <laughs> and so I, I was teaching. And after about half an hour, three of the priests got up and left. And the last one stayed till the end and came up and talked to me afterwards. It was just like fascinating, you know, yeah. but it was like, they just go, as long as it's not Buddhism, we're good, you know? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, so well, that's how I hold that. Yeah. And that's great. I, you just touched on something else. It's like, you're really just running the interview for me. This is great. Uh, education now a big question. And I've asked a lot of folks on this show, uh, we're over a hundred episodes in and we've had it. I'd say at least 10 to 20. It thinks at least 10 to 20 in this field to a certain degree. Now with your, uh, with your background and expertise, and uniqueness. We've never had anybody like you. So I really, I'm really curious to ask this question, which is, and it's becoming a theme in this day and age education, whether it's public, private homeschooling, whatever, uh, we'll, we'll target more on public because it's, it's just more mainstream. And I think more compartmentalization. Why is this not being taught? You know, that's a loaded question, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. If it's this important, and I can, I can speak from, I'm still in my twenties. I'm, I guess I'm a young person still, you know, You are. <laughs> but, but thinking back in one of my teen years, and that feels like a long way away. If I, if this stuff was just locked and loaded a little bit more, not just from parents, not just from church, but if it was locked and loaded from other influences beyond private teachers, mentors. It's like, you have to get this stuff out of the arts. It feels like you can't get it in mainstream schooling. And my question right. for you is why is that? And in your opinion, how do we fix the problem or how do we start fixing the problem? I think it's starting to be fixed. Okay. Uh, that was my, when I discovered this, my, the first thing that came out of my mouth was, okay, we, it, it, we called it reading, writing, and arithmetic. Then. Right, right. Talks about arithmetic anymore. It's mathematics. But, but we said, you teach kids reading, writing, and arithmetic. You teach them how to say their name and what their address is, but no one teaches them how to focus in the first place. No one teaches them how to deal with when feelings are overwhelming. And I thought, hello, these are skills of how to be a human being. Life and skills. And these life skills affect how well you do reading, writing, and arithmetic. Yeah. Or reading, writing, and math. Like, it, like these, if, if concentration and equanimity are skills meditation, is that not helpful in everything you do? You know, and the more concentrated you are, the better you do it. And so that was a big, uh, that was a big what's going on for me when, and this would be about 25 years ago when I, when I first got this and I was like, how come? Like, I felt like I'd been cheated. Like, how come yeah. we didn't know this stuff? Yeah. Now, since I started teaching, and again, mindfulness wasn't cool. I hope I men mentioned that. Uh, since I started teaching, there was a woman named Susan Kaiser Greenland who was doing Inner Kids with the name of her organization, innerkids.org, I think. And she was teaching kids. And I thought, that's it. You got to teach kids. Now, I've been a teacher all my life. I've taught in colleges and never in high school, but I've, I've, 
I've taught actors, I've taught directors, I've taught various people, but not kids. And I thought I'm not qualified and I don't have kids. So I said, so I would always send anybody who wanted their kids to her. And there are now more programs in schools for kids than ever before. So it is something that is starting. And I know, um, I started collecting clippings and there were kids in nursery school and you know how we had to lay down on our towel and take a nap. Now they have to sit there with their eyes closed. Right. And, you know, so, so it is starting to get integrated into the schools. And I know a lot of the teachers and psychologists that have been my clients uh, when they, one woman I know in particular, she would share to me what she do while driving her kids to school. You know, she'd say, they'd say, mom, he's doing this. And she'd say, where do you feel that in your body? And they're like, oh, God, where do I feel it? Okay, you know, and she would do these little games with them. And I said, you know, those are brilliant. You should do that. You should take that into schools. And she started doing that. And she developed a little kind of mindfulness toolkit. And she went to Africa. And that kind of became her thing. And so I'm just encouraging anyone to take it into schools because you're absolutely right. It should be taught before the clay, like before we're seven, (laughs) when the clay is soft, you know, I see people doing things with kids. I thought, okay, I'm going to have to fix that later on. You know, like I see, you know, and I'm going, you're going to have to come back to me later and I'm going to have to tear apart the the habit patterns that went in that could be avoided. Uh, Same thing, not with kids, but, going to war we have these vets coming back traumatized and you know often they're traumatized because maybe decisions they made that might have led to death of somebody or you know there's all sorts of things and my meditation teacher got a grant from i think it was the army he was going to go work with them before they went to war he had this grant to do it and then other life uh, well we had a different person come in office and that, that changed things um but that's another place to, to bring it in so that they're more mindful when they've got the guns and the bombs and, you know, and, and how they're doing things. So I, I think w- you, what your point is, is absolutely valid and key and in, uh, uh, integral is uh, so important uh, for our future And there are more and more kids, there are more and more young people meditating now than ever before. Now, I think a lot of that is your generation and up to 20 years older than you came into a world that was busier with more screens and stuff going on than we had to deal with. We had three TV channels. You know, you you guys have like a hundred thousand and you know, you've got all this uh, influx of stimulation to your minds and this, this fright, like you guys realized from a young age, wait a second, I gotta, I gotta do something here. I gotta, I gotta balance it. So I think, you know, people that who are now in their twenties, thirties, forties realize they had to do something to balance this. And meditation is one of the things they found. Other people find drugs, you know, <laughs> temporarily, but you know, it's not a, it's not a permanent fix. Um, but think, yeah, but that's important. What you brought up. It's really important. It's a great concern. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think the pandemic probably expedited this whole process to a measurable degree with uh you know, just a a complete shift in behavior, a complete shift in reality. And 
uh, a More time people for- started meditating during the pandemic. Yeah. 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 And also like for me as a meditation teacher, I would do live things and private clients and various things, but in the last probably four, six months, I now between clubhouse and insight timer, I'm probably working with hundreds of people a week. I never yeah. had hundreds of people a week I was working with. Yeah. And what's fascinating to me now, this is anecdotal. It's just my, what I'm hearing. But as I'm listening, especially on clubhouse to people who've never meditated, what's your number one concern? Like with all the things we got going on in the world, what's your biggest stress? And what really, it surprised me. I started offering courses on this after I got this number one and two head and shoulders above everything else. Number one of what I heard was anxiety. And it wasn't anxiety because of this or this. It was just a level of anxiety. It raised the threshold. Yeah. Everybody was just talking about, I got anxiety. And they didn't even know why. It was just anxiety. And the second thing, but it was not as big as anxiety, was what I'm going to put in a category of negative uh, self-talk. Like the voice in your head is negative. It might be self-judgment. It might be what people like to call imposter syndrome now. It Mm. might be self-doubt. It might be any negative words that are said in the head. And those are one and two above everything. So I started in the past few months developing courses, online courses. You can go to my website and find out about them. But to really, and I started coming up with sequences also for people who were empaths, which are people who were if you've ever been told you're too sensitive, you might be an empath. I am. (laughs) You know, it's like they pick things up from other people and then they're on overwhelm. And I thought, you know, I had panic attacks for most of my life. And, and, and that's an overwhelm. It's a Mm -hmm. sensory overwhelm. And I thought, let me come up with a sequence. And I started to come up with a sequence for empaths and people having anxiety attacks of don't don't say I'm going to let the emotion flow. You can't. Your your prefrontal cortex is offline. Let's let's get grounding first. Let's and I started kind of creating like a helpful sequence, but it's all been in response to listening to what people are suffering over in a big way. And all of this, the pandemic has really been what's given me this opportunity to work with these people and made other people realize, you know, I got to kind of do this work, you know, or maybe it's, you know, I'm, I'm locked in a room. I might have to do something. You know, what did they, there was this study where people would rather be shocked than sit alone in a room for five minutes. Did you see, hear that study? No, I a, haven't, but it, I, people, they had them alone in a room for five or 10 minutes. You can sit here alone in a room and do nothing, or you could sit here and shock yourself. And something like a majority of people shocked themselves rather than sit alone in a room. And I said, well, they're obviously not meditators, you know, <laughs> you know, and we're all shocking ourselves, right? Yeah. Anyway. That's funny. Yeah. So. Uh, so, so much great stuff here. I'm going to take a shift. And I have written down performance psychology and performance and anxiety. And I'd love to just expand on this. And, and with your background, with being on set, the auditioning process, maybe that's a great place for us to start uh, with the conversation and get into, I have another quote here. The body knows what to do, dot, dot, dot. Uh, 
you know, let, letting we hear these these cliche things, letting go the body knows what to do. Let your body do the work. Let your, let your, just let your, whatever, let yourself be free, you know, be mm-hmm. free. All these things as actors and in life in general, I, I see a lot of parallels. So your thoughts on this, I'll, I'll just give you the floor. Uh, on well, that. I, I, I'm going to go, you just said a, a few things. I'm going to go to the performance anxiety. Cause I think that's probably of the greatest interest here. And I, my first panic attacks were piano recitals and first grade. Mm. So these solo performances would just fill me with a absolutely inability to function. Uh, so it's like someone can say, let your body know what it is and you're about to go on stage. And I'm sorry, that's just not helpful. <laughs> you know? Or you're about to do an audition. And I work with actors a lot. I don't anymore as much. I, I was an acting coach for a long time, taught at several big schools there for that. Um, but the classic thing for actors is, you know, you, it was really good at home in the bathroom and you did it really great. And then you go in the audition and it wasn't as good as it was in the bathroom, you know, <laughs> it's like, why not? And part of your brain was thinking, oh no, I got that line wrong. All right, let me do. So part of your mind wasn't even in the present moment. Yeah. In the it yeah. was about it. That's where the skills that the meditation cultivates that ability to focus and let go of everything else. Yeah. Is that helpful for an actor? The ability to, when I teach acting for me, the voice in your head should be the voice of the character. So it's the internal talk of the character that you're getting in your head. And so if it's your voice and not the voice of the character, then that's a concentration skill. You can, you can, you can hone, you know, use a mindfulness practice that's where your meditation practice can help you as an actor so what i would say for myself as an actor um i went through different periods because i was an actor for decades before i found mindfulness and then there was a period of time kind of like when you learn to ride a bike and at first it's you know you're kicking your shins and you can't get the you know, you can't quite get the thing, but once you get it, you're like, oh my God, that's so easy. Why, why wasn't I just going forward? And the awkward intermediate zone for me was when I was so present with sensory experience, I was late because a lot of my income came from making commercials uh, where the audition is me showing up and being witty in the moment. Like he says, do this. And then directors would love me because whatever they said, oh yeah. And I'd have something witty to say and I could do whatever we wanted and they'd hire me. And when I first started meditating, everything kind of slows down and you hear something and you hear that you feel like you feel the leaf blower, everything kind of slowed down. And I was a little slow. I just, you know, I lost that. And I went, I can't do this. I need to make a living. I'm going to stop doing the mindfulness so I can make a living and do that. And I went back and, and so, and my teacher said, no, let it, it, it'll, it'll click in. And I go, I'm sorry, no way. I've got to kind of drop that and just go back to being my witty unconscious self. And what ended up happening is these two worlds kind of started, they were far apart and they just got closer and closer together as who I was, as I walked around in the day changed. Mm. And then I just naturally started to feel the doorknob so that when I go into an audition, if I'm 
looking around and seeing a room full of women who look just like me. And I'm saying, oh, what am I going to do this? You know, or, or, you know, there's that comparison thinking. I've, you can do things to stop cortisol in the body. That's the, one of the things I do. Yeah. For people and say any extending of an exhalation, anytime you're extending an exhalation that physiologically stops cortisol and activates the parasympathetic nervous system, that'll be handy. But then I really like feel my feet. Excuse me. <clears throat> I feel my feet or I feel the doorknob. I'm going in the room and I'm feeling the doorknob as I, as I, you know, as I go in. So there's the tactile touch sensations of being present. Soon as I walk in the room, I see the people and it's almost like I, um, I'm connecting with them and which will sound kind of woo-woo-y, but I'm connecting with them in a kind of loving kindness way. One is teaching directors. I've been on the other side of the casting. So I've sat at that table and I know that they're under more stress than you are, you know? And so I come in and I just go, oh, you know, I feel for them. Right. And so I'm here to help. I'm here to make their life better. And so I'll come in and I'll be relaxed and present. And, and I watch their bodies just kind of settle. And they go, oh, someone's here. Someone's here who's not worried and anxious that I have to calm. Oh, and I just kind of watch their bodies settle. And then in a way I'm creating the environment I want to be in. That's great. I want to be in an environment where they're settled. So my audition shifted. The auditioning process started to become more fun. Mm-hmm. I used to angst over, obviously I was having panic attacks. <laughs> so, you know, uh, the audition process started to become more fun. And I started, I, I felt like every time I did an audition, I was cultivating a, a, a friendly relationship. And, and it wasn't about me proving I could do it. It wasn't about how well I did it. It wasn't about, did I mess up a line? It was, I was just happy to arrive and be present. And, um, and, I, it, and when I coach people, I, I would say, when in doubt, feel your feet. Okay, if you feel your feet, the whole body gets kind of connected. And I had one guy come back to me after he said, I had a callback and all the producers were in there and I and I did something. And then they all talked to each other while I was standing there. And he said, I did what you said. And I felt my feet. And then they came back and I was so present, ready for them, you know, <laughs> and, you know. And so there can be little tricks and tips you do along the way to help you be grounded and present. And I've got a ton of those. But ultimately, the more you do the practice, you develop these muscles, but the muscles become part of you. You don't say, can I develop, this is the analogy I give, can I get biceps by lifting my groceries into the car? Uh, well, you're going to have to lift a lot of groceries, but just going to the gym and doing a systematic rep of weights in two weeks you're going to begin to see something and when you leave the gym it goes with you and you don't say i'm going to use my biceps to lift my groceries now you just lift the friggin' groceries and the biceps come into play so that's why meditation mindfulness is like something you practice all day and then it just becomes part of how you think how you are 
And then that goes into your performance. And then you start getting that, what we call in the zone, where you're present, you're including the audience. And and when you can open up as a performer, especially, and this is big for musicians, especially because actors, you have a fourth wall Mm -hmm. and you feel an audience, but you're, you're, and you can be aware of where the laughs are and have this relationship to the audience, but you have this world up here as a performer. And, and I, my ex-husband was a guitar player and a musician, and he'd get these panic things of going up in front of people. And you're having this direct relationship with the audience. You're looking at them, you're seeing them, you're, you're, it's, it's a more direct exchange. And so when that becomes and organic where you're just allowing their energy to come through you and not shut you down and overwhelm you, but to inspire you to play in an even better way. And then you give it back and you've got this, you know, circular where they're giving you energy and you're giving them energy. And it's this, it's this kind of love fest with sonic vibration. I mean, come on, you know, it's like that. You just touched on something really, really, crucial that I didn't even have written down, but when you were talking, this really popped up and that is, and and you being a musician and having that background as well, piano playing instruments. We've all been there. Anybody who plays, I'm sure anybody can attest to this. You, you get on stage, you start your set, you start your piece, whatever. And you realize why am I feeling my heart beating out of my chest. Why do my hands feel like I have 50% of the dexterity that I usually do? What is going on here? And then it takes a little bit for it to settle. And I mean, I've played well over a thousand shows in my life. I still deal with this, whether it's in front of five people, whether it's by my, I'll, I'll hit record. I'm by myself. (laughs) And I feel it's, I'm like, dude, come on. Yeah. So it's really, and then sometimes you get in front of a lot of people and it doesn't bother you as much. It's weird. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that and any personal experience with how to mitigate that. Yeah. Yeah. Just you talking about the music thing. It's so lovely that you said that and, and also kind of confess that like, you know, it's a a very (laughs) authentic, you know, it's like, you know, I'm alone in a room and I'm getting nervous when I press record. Yeah. It's just ridiculous. Well, when actors started, we're all self taping now. And when actors, started I, I was actually hearing that a lot out here they're going i'm pressing self-tape this is gonna be my audition oh my god <laughs> you know yeah yeah um let's see where where, where where can i go with this um uh so what physiologically happens Let, let's go mm-hmm. physiologically to the hardware yeah so physiologically, and, and even just back to our ancestors, we are a social species. We live in connection to other people. The way you would punish someone is you would expel them. You would banish them. And then they were going to die because then the saber-toothed tiger comes and eats them. Like we, we survived here. So we've taken that now to social acceptance being a source of safety and non-social acceptance being danger. So there's a danger survival response. And when I first started working with this notion, 
uh, I was at, well, not first started, I've been working with it since first grade, but um, when I started working with it as a mindfulness teacher with the notion of helping people with it, I, well, I had been doing it for 10, 20 years before then, but I, I did this Harvard brain study that you mentioned. Yeah. And I got to hang out with a brain researcher and I got to ask him questions. And of course I got to make him translate it into baby talk. So right. Thing, right. You know? And so I said to him one day we were hanging out. I just adopted him. He was adorable. And I said, one day we were hanging out and I said, you know, 20 years ago, I started teaching what then was called public speaking. I had been teaching actors, but then as a gig, when I came out here, I was doing public speaking. And at that time on NPR, I was driving around in my car. It said public speaking was a number one fear above death and divorce. Yeah. And I said, seriously, seriously. I think it still is from. Well, I asked him, I said, is that still the case? I mean, because I could say, I had a hard time believing that. And he said, oh, yeah. He said, you know, there's this study. And I, I don't think he did this study, but I remember him telling me about this study where you take people and you put them in a chair and you hook them up in wiring so you can tell their pulse and their, and their, whether they're sweating and their heartbeat and, you know, they're all covered. And you stick them in a chair and you put a spotlight on them. And then you have two people walk in with clipboards who look at them and take notes with no expression. Just look at them and take notes and don't talk to them. And he said, their hearts start pounding. This is already making me feel on edge. For some I know. Reason. He just, said, their just... hearts start pounding. He goes, he goes, one guy almost had a panic attack. And he, <laughs> like, for him, this is like, and I thought, you know, if you're looking around at brains all day, I guess, you know, that's an exciting thing. You know, panic attack. And, and I was listening to him describe this. And I said, okay, that's every audition yeah every audition you're going in with people with clipboards looking at you not talking writing notes yeah Yeah. and i sat there and said okay so why why is our heart pounding so i think it's connected to what i was talking about with the social species but if you really get into that moment why i determined and i've done this in public talks where i ask everyone to say why but it's a fear of judgment It's a fear that other people are judging us. Now, are the other people judging us? Those two people were probably paid $10 an hour to come in and stand there and look at you, right? They're thinking of their, oh, after I'm done with this, I'm going to go pick up my bicycle and pick up my kid. Yeah, okay. They're not necessarily. So we're fear of a judgment that isn't even necessarily happening. It's a projected judgment. And I've done casting. I've done casting. Trust me, we want you to be good. <laughs> you know, we are not wanting to judge you. You know, but but the actors are like, someone's gonna, someone's gonna see that I'm not perfect, and we all, you know, we all protect ourselves from being seen. That oh, we don't have it together, and so that fear of judgment, I think, goes back to the survival of the species. That the judgment on an unconscious, below the threshold of consciousness in our wiring, we associate judgment with acceptance and survival, I think. Uh, it's a hierarchy change, right? Because the hierarchy of needs, it's we're in a different place now, right. industrialization. But I think the genetics go all the way back to that. And yeah. so I sat yeah. there and said, okay, so I want to take the judgment. If the whole reason everyone's discombobulated and you're nervous when you're pressing record, if the whole thing of that is judge, fear of judgment, how can I take that out? 
I want to take just slide the judgment out of that equation. How can I do that? So I started practicing. <laughs> I started trying things. And I said, well, if you don't want to be judged, don't judge. So I developed a little technique I called shared presence. And I did this just for public speakers. But guess what? It also worked for, you know, artists. It also worked for it. It, it worked for um People having uh, panic attacks. It works for, not panic attacks. Uh, what was that? Uh, slipping the judgment. It works for some other things too. I'm going to think it, as I'm going through, let me describe it and then I'll say what sure, it was. Sure. But basically it was a two layer cake and the two, the two ingredients are easy ones. We know them. You breathe in and you breathe out. Got it. Okay. The, the first layer is you breathe in the other person with acceptance. So if I have an audience, wow. I'm breathing them in with acceptance. Now, the moment I breathe them in with acceptance, I'm not alone on stage anymore. We're all together. I'm just the one playing the guitar. Yeah. I'm just one talking. So yeah. you breathe them in with acceptance, then the breath out. And I have people before we do this really practice releasing, taking a big breath in and oh, letting everything go on the breath out. So I'll say you breathe them in with acceptance. And then on the breath out, you let that go to breathe in who they are in the next moment. Cause we change moment by moment. Right. And guess what? This is presence. What is presence? Presence is breathing what's really happening, letting that go to breathe in what's really happening now. So it makes people quite present. You're breathing everyone in with acceptance. When I was dealing with teachers and they'd say, well, I've got an irate parent. Oh, that was the other group. I have an irate parent here and he's yelling at me. I go, breathe in his t-shirt, breathe in his earring, breathe in, you know, you can breathe in something, breathe in something with acceptance. And on the breath out, you let that go. The second layer of that cake you're breathing them in with it you still do the first layer you're breathing them in with acceptance and you include what you're feeling and my heart's pounding my hands are clammy my mouth is dry okay all right that's what's happening and you're not going no it's not i'm fine i can do this you got this now i'm present with you in this moment and that's what's happening isn't that interesting And I'm breathing that in with acceptance and then the breath out, which in speaking, your words are the breath out, but you can do this without words. And I came from woodwinds where the instrument was the breath out, but um, on the breath out, you're sending a kind intention for well-being for the other person, wanting goodness for them. So if I'm an artist I'm wanting them to be entertained or get in, get insights or whatever, whatever my music does for me, however it fulfills me, if it makes me feel alive, I want them to feel alive. So, and notice the focus. And I got this from the Yale School of Drama acting teacher. He had a technique where instead of actors focusing on, I'm berating him, I'm it was verbs. First, we did verbs because you don't want to do a quality. I'm not doing, I'm sad, I'm happy. That's bad acting, right? And then everyone went to verbs and it was like, I'm, I'm begging, I'm pleading, I'm uh, yelling, I'm, you know, what, what all the thing I'm manipulating, what are you, doing the verbs. He had you phrase everything and how are you trying to make the other person feel? Mm. Not what you're doing. And the minute he did that, I'd watch actors who were self-conscious. I'd watch their whole body relax. Yeah. 
their focus is on the other person. And if they, if, it, if it's working, you keep doing that. If it's not, you go to try something else. So I use that notion of the focus on somebody else to help the body relax when I develop this exercise. And I did this exercise and I've been teaching it now. I call it shared presence. And I've been teaching it now for 12 years 13 years and you can get people who are terrified in front of people and within half an hour they're calm you know what i mean it's it's really a productive way to work i didn't even think to do it in my auditions until i then realized i kind of had been i just hadn't developed it as a technique then but when i said i walked in and went oh i've cast I care about, you know, I realized I kind of was naturally doing it in the audition, but when I did it as a technique, it helped ground me. So that's kind of what I'm going to say about the, uh, something I developed for performance anxiety to get rid of the judgment. There are other things like feel your feet, you know, and, and when you say my fingers, especially like my ex-husband was a guitar player and he'd have that. It's like, I, I, I don't have the dexterity. So he would, so I'd say, okay, you know, that one riff where it's like, blah, 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 blah. don't do that in the first five minutes, you know, right. <laughs> okay, later. Yeah. Because I would have, you know, if I, my, my hands, when I first went on stage in a play, my hands would shake for the first five minutes. Yeah. And so I'd say, okay, do that later. But that was before I developed any of these techniques. So I haven't, I haven't really been on stage except to speak. Uh, and I don't get nervous in that way anymore at all. So, um, but I haven't, since I've been developing this, I, I haven't been on stage with that, but I imagine it would help as well. That's yeah. fantastic. That's, that's great. Uh, there's still so much to cover. I, I, you know, we're not, there's no way we're going to get to all of it today. Uh, thank you so much for being a part of this. And, you know, we'll, we'll hit a couple of bullet points here as, as we start to wrap up uh, body language. You know, that was one thing that I saw very decorated on your, on your site. And that's fascinating because we hear of studies, 80, 90% of uh, communication is nonverbal. We see this in television, film, uh, social media. Now we, we see it all over the place. Right. So we'd love to just get a couple of, couple of moments of thoughts on that. So my quick and dirty on that. And I use the word body language because then people know what I'm talking about. But what I'm really interested in is how the way we hold our body affects our thoughts and feelings. Oh, okay. And I, so I taught expressive movement and body language at USC and various places. So I can talk a lot about how the body communicates things, but the interest for me, again, I'm into kind of healing and rewiring and I learned this. Uh, we had a guest teacher at Yale School of Drama who came in and he said, I can put an actor in any position and make them feel something. And I was like, oh, yeah, huh. prove it. And I would volunteer. And sure enough, uh, you know, he did something where suddenly I felt all this shame come in and I went, wow, that was really interesting. So when I learned that we could put our bodies like with actors, you think, what is the character? What do they want? What's their history? They were locked in the closet till they were seven. This is what we're doing. You know, 
this is without any background. You're just having a good day and your body goes in a position and you start feeling anxiety or shame. That got my attention 10 years later, maybe 20. I'm trying to think of the years now because it's so I'm so old. I can't remember. <laughs> but I remember as a mindfulness teacher, hearing people complain about feelings, especially anxiety and depression, and their body was in the position to invite it. If I wanted an actor to create, have anxiety, I would put the body in the position that this person was, he was complaining about anxiety. So I thought I can help people dismantle anxiety, but if your body is in that habitual place of how to create anxiety, it's going to keep calling it back up. It's sending an engraved invitation or it's on a gold platter saying, come back. So the the basic things I'll say, since this is just auditory, uh, and I I did this, I used to do this in public talks and I had to stop because just mentioning this once and having people do it for five seconds, it took me five minutes to calm them down. Wow. But, But if you lift your shoulders up, Put your elbows in at your side, tight into your side. So your elbows are squeezing your side. Clasp your hands together. Put them up against your chest. Put your chin down on top of that and then go (gasps) like that. You start to feel anxious. Okay. Whoa. Whoa. (laughs) So so now that we did that, all right, let the, uh, let the, let the shoulders open now, let the shoulders open, let the jaw release, let the arms stretch up and back just because I've guided you there. Incredible. And so when people have anxiety, you'll notice now I did that in an extreme way, but their shoulders tend to be a little up, a little contracted in and having them lower the shoulders and get the head on top of the spine, because most of us carry our heads forward from computers, cell phones, cars playing instruments and and having that up there, then releasing the jaw. If I want someone to be more creative, the first thing I do is help them release the jaw. First thing helps the creativity. But so I, I, I help tune people into these positions of anxiety or depression, rounded shoulders forward, lungs, uh, ribs collapse down on the lungs. Yeah. Create a sense of depression. And so literally, and a lot of this, it sounds like I'm just talking about posture work or Alexander technique. A lot of it is posture work because it's the way our body was designed to, to be supported. But there's also how do you release specific places that have habitually been tight, tightened or held for years, decades you know, like this shoulder up thing. I, I, I remember I was washing dishes one time and I realized my shoulders were up by my ears and I kind of looked down and went, well, that one can go down. Well, that one can go down. That's been a big thing for me that I've tried to work on in the last couple of years, especially the last year or two, where I know it just keeps coming up, keeps coming up. And it's like, what in the world is going on here? I'm just sitting here, you know, and it, it, it just, it, it's amazing. It's a great act of kindness. And one of the ways to keep that from coming up is, again, if you have the head on top of the spine, it naturally rotates the shoulders back. Yeah. Which the chest and the heart center. Okay. You want to do a heart center practice. People are going, I'm going to do a loving kindness practice. I said, well, let's just physiologically. Open let's just get you to stand up straight. <laughs> We're doing it. Cause if you're like this, like I'm going to do a loving kindness practice, you all collapse forward. You have to kind of work to get it up. Right. It's like, yeah, here, yeah, yeah. open it and let it naturally radiate out. So do you think that has to do not to interject real quick, but do you think that has to do with, um, 
that we call that closing ourselves off. Is that a, is that from a place maybe uh, psychologically or really subconsciously psychologically closing in, trying to protect? Absolutely. And when you're open like this, I mean, to, to be open like this is a vulnerability in itself, even though it's it's more of a stronger look. It's you are leaving yourself more vulnerable just from a physiological standpoint. I do believe that I do believe that a part of our brain, but that went in also before the brain was fully evolved. So that's that's working with criteria. I believe we're all walking around with a tight front part of the torso chest to to protect ourselves, to also just keep our emotions in check as we go through our day. And, you know, I know in New York city, you probably hold your breath. You know, it's like, you're yeah, yeah, yeah. so yes, I absolutely think that's protection. And when I'm guiding people in meditation at the beginning of the meditation that you came in and the end right. of, I, I spend this whole thing like guiding it and going, okay, now here, we're going to put the shoulders back. We're going to drop the jaw head on top. Now we're going to let this belly be soft. Oh, now that might feel really vulnerable. Soften the belly. Oh, let this be a safe place. And so kind of like with meditation, where we create these muscles in this gym that help us, one of the muscles and that equanimity muscle is really letting the belly be soft. So yes, you're more vulnerable, but guess what? That's also how you see colors brighter and smell foods more. And, you know, that's, that's our open sensory experience to this alive, rich world we're walking through. And if the belly's tight, we're missing that input. Like we pay extra for HD, right? You know, <laughs> mindfulness is like HD, you know? Yeah, like, yeah. And if you're cutting that off, you're going, no, I just really want to see the surface. So it's a practice. It's a practice of this opening and letting yourself be vulnerable. And it's hard for people to do that when they don't have a way to process the feelings. If every time they let feelings and they're on overwhelm, you bet they're going to keep that tight in the front. So I first teach them, okay, here's how to ground yourself. Here's how to process it. Now you can let go of the side of the pool and actually go in the pool and do some strokes. But first I give people other ways to handle it before you take away someone's coping mechanism give them another way to do it. It's like people say, I want to get off the drugs. Can meditation help me get off the drugs? I go, yeah, but let's stay on the, if you're on drugs for anxiety or depression or something, let's stay on them as you develop the muscles and then then take it, take off that. So that front part of the torso, that tightness is absolutely protection. And so first you create safe places to let that soften and then start noticing what you see and feel that you didn't see and feel before. And that creates a positive feedback loop, you know, go, Oh, and it's places to do it in conversation with a loved one. Okay. We often in conversation with a loved one, sometimes they can go into enemy mode. Like, uh, I don't know what, what if you really opened and listened to what their needs were as a human being and connected yeah. as opposed to they said this and this means this. And, you know, when we get into arguments. For me, the get- big thing is I know this is coming. Now, <laughs> I already know. I'm, so I'm an INFJ. So that probably adds to it. Uh-huh. But like uh, I, I see it a mile away, you know, and then right. I have to, I have to like, I, I already know what's going to happen. And then it's, right. I, it, then that causes more anxiety because then you're waiting for it to happen. 
And so that's a- your practice. Your practice would be, I know it's going to happen. All right, let me relax. Knowing it's, gonna it's like you're on the roller coaster and you know it's going to come right up to that place where it drops right down. It's yeah. coming up. It's yeah. coming up. It's getting to the top. Okay. And just and you and you can just practice kind of relaxing with it and try the shared presence one. That helps a lot. This is this is just great stuff. Uh, I, I'd love to uh, touch on best and worst experiences as far as best and worst gig, uh, not gig. Uh, if it if you want to call it, gig, I do think it's gigs, be, be, yeah, best and worst on set experience or best and worst uh, public speaking experience. If you have like a, a fun, quick short two stories on best and worst uh, at times when i've been the actor i've been the public speaker or i'm a teacher working with somebody what, what your choice whatever you feel is whatever comes to mind first um well best is easy we all know best but that doesn't that doesn't help anybody else you know when you're in yeah. the zone and you're kind of relaxed I would say a key experience as a teacher, it was one of the first times I guided somebody privately, one-on-one, because I'd mm. been speaking. I was good at, I'm an actor. I'm good at being in front of people. I'd done a lot of classes. And, and it was a woman who was an acting student of mine. I was on retreat and she called, she was screaming into the phone. She was apparently in the hospital. She'd been taken to the hospital in an emergency. She had a hysterectomy. Um, her newborn baby who had Down syndrome was with her husband who, who she left while she was pregnant and he didn't like the baby. And they opened her up and discovered that two organs were connecting through a third, a hole in a third organ, and they didn't know what to do. So they closed her back up and she was freaking out and she was screaming and she was in pain and she had a morphine drip and she was just screaming and sobbing and fear for the child and her the doctors didn't know and using these techniques of, of, of mindfulness and also breaking down. Okay. Sensorily what's happening now. I had her identify five places of pain in her body. There was a sharp pain going up and down the leg, the pain in her side. She had fear. She had a, 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 a frustration and fear and, and she was seeing different images. And when we added everything up, there were about eight or 10 different elements that had gone that were multiplying together to create the screaming overwhelm. Wow. Pulled them apart. And as soon as we pulled them apart, she got a little calmer. And then I said, all right, let's go to, and I, you know, I was like, Oh my God, I've never, like I've watched my teacher do it, but I just hadn't done this. And I said, let's go to, of all the sensations in the body, which one has movement. And we haven't talked about that yet. Flow or movement and tuning into that. Yeah, yeah. And I, I said, which one has movement? She said, well, that kind of sciatic pain going up and down my leg does. And I said, well, let's just follow the movement of it. Remember at the beginning when I talked about mindfulness as contour versus the content that acting does. And I said, let's just follow the movement of that up and down and just let that be a massage. And every movement, I'd say, let that be a massage. And, let, and within 20 minutes, 25 minutes, she was so calm. And I, I paused for a moment. There was no sound. And I said, what's happening now? And she said, oh, I feel like I'm swinging in a hammock. And I thought, whoa, okay, all right. Shinzen, my teacher, I got a story for you. Yeah, and yeah. And then she never meditated before. I checked in with her after that weeks later and said, how are you doing? And she said, oh, whenever the pain gets, gets much, I just, I just do the hammock thing. 
I just, I, she'd never been guided before. Never. Wow. She just, I just do the hammock thing until I'm swinging a hammock. That is so powerful. So that was, that was my first time guiding someone. Like I was like, Oh my God, she's really in pain. Oh my God. What am I going to do? And I thought, okay, if we can do that, it can work with anything. Yeah, you know, it's trail so by that, fire right there. Yeah. So that, that, that's a, a teaching experience. I, I, I think of a lot. Um, that's great. Speaking experiences, you know, other things you just have, you know, the mic goes out, you know, right, right, you know, you right. just have all the technical uh, issues that, that I've had. I, I can't think of a, um, a, a speaking experience that, um, didn't turn into a, a good thing. You know what I mean? It was because it's about being present, right? So something goes wrong and you're going, okay, here we are. Yeah, you know? Here we are. That's it. You know, I've had lights go out during a theater presentation. You know, what do you do? Okay. You know, let's, 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 and then the, and it always brings people together, you know, mm -hmm. a technical issue or something like that. But that's a, that's a story that occurs to me as a teacher is I will never forget. <laughs> I will no, never. that's it was that yeah, yeah. Well, you taught you, I had flow written down somewhere on here. This is, yeah. this is my gibberish chicken oh, scratch. Oh, I do I everything. Them. I do everything handwritten because I, I'll find things very quickly in research. And you have like, arrows go back. Yeah. Arrows and all. Yeah. And it somehow just works. So, uh, yeah. so flow, I'll just real, flow. I'll say yeah, something. Yeah. Flow. In Buddhism, they have a word called impermanence. And for there, they talk about everything's arising or passing away. Everything's coming or going. You, me, the building, everything's coming and going. And the way in the system of mindfulness that Shenzhen Young developed that I like very much, he talks about flow. Now, the word flow, since he did this, it started to be used in what's called positive psychology to mean a flow state. Right. And a flow state tends to, is really referring to what we would call a state of high concentration, where you're in the zone, in the Tao, you're really focused, you're highly effective and efficient, it's all graceful, you're able to see it all and take it all in. And that's kind of, you're in a flow state. The way the word flow is used in the system I'm in, which is a yellow brick road to that flow state, is to notice the moving, changing nature of everything, all sensory experience, your sense of self, your sense of your thoughts, your feelings, your smells, your touches, everything that tells you who you are, what your problems are, what your goals are. All that moves and changes all the time. If you're feeling terrible and you have anxiety, guess what? It's going to go. Everything's going to come and go. But rather than saying, oh, don't worry, it's going to go. You just notice the moving nature of it, like I did with that woman with the pain. And you start tuning into the moving, changing nature and not even attached to, is it arising? Is it passing away? It's just moving and changing, it's water. And when you start kind of tuning into the moving, changing nature, I used to say, it's like you become a surfer. The wave can knock you down or you can surf it. And so you can work with that moving, changing nature to it, then it starts to give you more agility and flexibility with how you think and feel and move. And you don't lock in. We have a tendency to say, uh, identify that's this object. This is, I am this person who feels this, you know, we tend to lock into solid things. And yeah. when you see it like that shared presence exercise, it's all moving. 
I'm receiving you. I'm receiving you with acceptance. That's a verb. That's it's a happening. Like they say, God is a verb. It's a verb. It's a movement. And then I'm releasing. That's a verb. That's something that's moving and shifting. Then I'm breathing in you and what's happening me. And so when you start tuning into the moving, changing nature of things, not like that's the sunset right there. No, the sunset is something that's going to be moving and shifting. And when you try to hold something in one spot, you're going to suffer. It's going to hurt. <laughs> the frames, the frames are always moving. Yeah. yeah. And so flow in this, it's called unified mindfulness. It's the name of the system, but Shinzen, flow is just turning into the moving, changing nature of your sensory experience. And I like to say as a massage. And then you're walking through your day being massaged by the sound of the birds and the wow. light on the trees. And you're just, and even the breath. I, I begin most of my meditations. So you'll have to come in another with yeah. allowing the movement of the breath to be a massage from the inside. Come on, come on. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. we have that every moment. So, so that you're, it, it, it just leads to this. And does that help you get in a flow state? It, the positive psychology term, you betcha, yeah. you know, but it flow in this term means the moving, changing nature of everything. And, um, and, and if you look long enough, you know, things move like you can say, uh, uh, what did they say? If you take a picture of the earth and, and show a video over a million years and fast forward the video, the earth's surface would look like it's bubbling. Would look like bubbling water. That's how much there's moving and changing happening. So you could say that mountain isn't moving. Well, over a course of a million years, yeah, it is. You know? yeah. so, 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 so the movement can be a, a, of a longer duration or if you take a microscope and you come in and you see atoms and pro, protons and electrons moving and you go, you know, we're all space and movement, you know? And so you can come in for a close up, you can come back on a long term picture or in a very practical way as we're moving through this, like right now I'm moving kind of like seaweed in a tide pool. I like people to do that. And I, you know, just to kind of, uh, that kind of movement informs my thoughts and feelings. Mm. That's a body language thing. I have yeah, people, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, and so just to tune into tangible, not like, oh, I've got to wait a million years for the mountain to move, or I've got to get a microscope to see that we're really just all atoms. We could say in this moment, I am aware of the breath moving in and out of my body. I'm aware of, I can feel the hair on the, on my neck moving in a certain kind of way, right? There's just a moving, changing nature to everything that can be a massage. And it's um, a lovely reworking of the Buddhist impermanence. I think that uh, helps lead to great enjoyment in, in the case of the woman tuning into flow was right. was the key to her suffering ending i never got to the thoughts and feelings i just worked with the body sensations flowing and then she was good you know and that was a big thing about when i do laughter meditation i have a little exercise i do that takes about five seconds and and i say okay endorphins are nature's euphoria cortisol is nature's danger drug, like danger, danger, Will Robinson, okay? Put cortisol into your system. You could replace cortisol with endorphins, right? And so 
endorphins create this kind of warm buzz, but it's moving. And, and cortisol is moving too. So you can just notice the moving, changing nature of everything. And it, um, but especially like with laughter, I have people work with that movement as a massage and, and letting uh, when someone has anxiety that they relax around and then it shifts into a kind of a warm, excited bliss. They're like, whoa, what was that? I go, okay, we could do that in two seconds with laughter. <laughs> yeah. But once they have a sense of, oh, anxiety isn't this thing that comes in like this evil thing and comes in and then I can't press record on my thing without this anxiety. You're like, oh, that's just like a creature that's arrived that wants to move on through like the babies, you know, yeah, yeah. it wants to move on through. And our thought of, oh, no, here it is. Oh, no, I won't be able to play that lick. Oh, no. You know, that's what holds it in place. The resisting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The judge, if you judge a feeling, if you judge it, if you judge a feeling that holds it in a place, just the way a setting holds a jewel. Wow. It locks it in. And guess what? The way a setting holds a jewel, you only need one prong to go for the jewel to fall out. So if the emotion is the jewel, sometimes you just need to relax your jaw and help the emotion go through. Just let go of what you can't. Yeah. Know? Yeah. We I've covered a lot. <laughs> I've been learning a lot about that in golf. Ah, yeah, it's it's amazing. Her I mean, they even, oh. they even well, you know, it's a little bit. They 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 talk about releasing the jaw before each swing and uh, getting your mind. What is your mind thinking about? And there's a lot of different things about it, but it's a mental game. My little brother was like a pro level golfer. Yeah. Yeah, It gets to that that. point where it really is the, the less, like the less time you spend at the range, you're almost better off because you could be reinforcing bad programming. The more balls you're hitting at the range or when you're out in the course, like you need to know when it's time to step back. And there's a lot of mental uh, like there's a lot of visualizations and and mental faculties that go into the game to get to that next level. And it's, I'll come back and I probably hit one fourth of the balls that you usually would, but it was a way more productive practice session and there's results. So, and a lot of it has to do with that thinking of the shot, believing that you can make the shot before you do it. What's it going to look like? What's the shot going to feel like? What's it going to feel like when you make the putt? And it's, it's very profound. I picked up this book. It's, it's called golf in the mind. Some psychologists say golf in the kingdom. I go, you've read golf in the kingdom. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. In the kingdom, Michael. No, I haven't heard of it now. Oh, golf in the kingdom. You you need to read that. I'll I'll check that out. Yeah. 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 Well, it's all similar to what we've discussed, which is it's thinking about all these different things that have really, because I guess the main theme in the book is the golf swing itself. It takes 60 something muscles to accomplish that. And there's no way in hell that you're going to be able to do that with your conscious mind. So you have to trust that your subconscious will let your body perform that and your job is to get out of the way and to feed it with positive or, or certain images that are going to put you in that state to perform that task. So it, it's, 
I was kind of watching the Olympics for that. Like you watch these divers and you just, oh, yeah. see, I, I love watching the Olympics just to watch their focus, their concentration. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, they're doing that, this, this whole sense. And, and I remember there was, it was a, maybe not this Olympics, a couple ago, there was a little redheaded American diver and she'd say, oh no, I, I go out there. I think about it ahead of time, but when I'm there, I go blank. My best yeah. dives are going to go blank and yeah. my body knows the way, you know? And it was like, it was, it, it was kind of, what you're saying and well and, and i noticed because i was having a really bad round a couple weeks ago and this was right after i read the book like i i was highlighting the book take every every couple of chapters i'd go out every few days go hit more balls come back and there was this horrible round first nine was horrible and i'm like okay this is in you. You've got to turn this around this is ridiculous i know it's in here let's let's figure this out and then I had this one thought which came to me, which was essentially, you need to let go. Because what I realized was I was putting too much, I guess I was putting too much judgment and pressure on the process. And it's like, okay, am I visualizing enough? Am I, am I taking enough time before each shot? But then I'm not thinking about what I'm doing because then I'm thinking about what I'm thinking about. So then it turned into, okay, you've done your thing. You see the shot. Okay. Trust the shot, go up and just swing the club. <laughs> and then the game started changing. Like there was a 10 stroke difference between the front nine and the back. Wow. Nine. Wow. And some crazy like PGA stuff. Well, happening. Neat that you've done that once and you used mindset kind of to come in like a wait, like, wait a second. And you did a kind of mindset strategy with that, but, and, and to, to find it. But once you've done that, once you've had that experience of shifting it around, you yeah. now know, you, can. you now know you can. Yeah. Yeah. You and my goal, you can't turn it around. Yeah. And my goal that day was no matter how bad it gets, I'm not going to quit the, the mental process of it. I'm not going to quit believing that there's a breakthrough that we're going to have some sort of shift here and that I'm not going to quit on the process of the visualization. And right. that was the big takeaway was the score that great. No, it wasn't that great, but yeah. having that breakthrough, knowing that it can be done, like you said, then it, then right. it's enough to give you some incentive to come back. And, and what you did was also say, Hey, let me trust this process, you know, in a certain kind of way, another way to do maybe the same thing. I remember my acting teacher did this at Yale. Uh, I was working so hard. I had to be like this great actress. Like, you know. And he, he, he stopped me one time after he said, you know, you're very good and you have a lot of technical skill. He said, are you enjoying it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. and i said well i'll enjoy it when i get it right and he was yeah, like yeah what if you enjoyed it now yeah. you know and i thought you know that's it's another way to do what you did but but, but you did it in a way that worked for you you know but it, it there's like all sorts of little ways we can kind of come in you know to create equanimity i worked with a young golfer who was on a golf team with an abusive coach oh my god she was telling me <laughs> Sometimes that works though. It depends on the golfer. You know, I mean, but this coach was really, this coach was like, you know, uh, honing in on her and, a yeah, it's not I, good. It was not good. And she ended up quitting the team. But, but when I worked with her, she, she was also the fifth, right? So she had to kind of earn the fourth, you know, she, she had to right, earn right, right, right. spot coming in. And for her, it was really about, 
between holes. She'd listen to the birds. She'd feel her feet. She, she'd feel her feet on the grass. The she, she did a whole sensory thing of just being present on the way. She said, I only need a second to think about that next shot. She said, but it's that, it's that five minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes till you get to the next shot that's going. And she'd say, I would feel the wind on my skin because I'd have her really like, I said, you know, people, golf courses are kind of, for better or worse, one of the most beautiful places that we have cultivated here. You know, I know George Carlin said, if you take all the golf courses and you could, you could make homes for all the homeless people and everybody went, <gasps> don't take away our golf courses. But but I thought, you know, it's a beautiful land that's been quaffed and it's pretty and you get to walk around and etiquette means people have to be 100 yards away from you. So you get the space and I go, right. there's something kind of lovely about that. I go, let's enjoy the walk, you know, and that her her scores just went through the roof when she just stopped thinking about golf. And that's walking so good. Golf. That's so good. Yeah. And you have those moments where it's so strange. Like, it, you, you know, when you're not keeping score, right. And you just hit the ball around and it's going in the hole and it, you're not fit. And then, and then as soon as you have that, it's the emotional hijacking kicks in, mm-hmm. you start caring, you start trying. Okay. All right. Let me take a look at it's, it's really strange how that works. Well, but that's, you know, that's also the fun navigating yeah. that. And, and, you know, yeah. the, the main thing for me, just in terms of our, uh, I could say our health, just to reduce suffering, to sound Buddhist, uh, just just so that there's less ick in, in our lives. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the main thing is to just kind of create a little bit less tension, less, you know, I, I, I it stopped using the word equanimity or resistance. I say, just could you be less tense? Is there something you can let go of? Just let go of something physically, you know, and let that kind of, if you let go of this, if you let go of the, put the head here, if you let go of the jaw, that affects the back of the neck, that affects the belly, you know, mm-hmm. just let go of one, you know, like that, that the, the setting that holds the jewel, you only have to let go of one prong for the jewel to fall out. So just, what can you drop? Can you drop your jaw? You know, let, let something go, just something so that, um, and I, in general, especially when people are really challenged and it's a complex event, I go for physical because it's tangible, it's easy, yeah, and yeah. it's not connected to their ability, their identity, their, you know, what kind of golfer you are, you know, it's like, I can drop my jaw and it doesn't really affect what kind of golfer I am, you know, it's like, you know, so that's anyway, that's, that's great. Good. That this is so good. I, it, it, this is just, yeah, I, I've really enjoyed this. Thank you so much for, for taking fun. the time to be on. And I have a quick little thing I like doing at the end, which is the okay. shootout section. I just say one word oh. and you fire a word back. Uh, it may be some psychology thing that I'm not aware of, but oh, it's, okay. it's just, I'll say a word. You just say a word back that comes to mind. Okay. All right. Uh, mindfulness, uh, happiness. Oh, that's good. Anxiety. Um, unnecessary suffering. <laughs> that's two words. <laughs> no, it's good. That's good. Uh, trying to read my handwriting here. I got to skip that one off to come back to it. Depression. Um, heaviness. Oh, the other one was stress. Stress. Um, uh, stories. We tell ourselves in our head. Oh, wow. Wow. That's, that's, I'm going to chew on that one. That's good. 
uh, belief? Uh, faith. Uh, I, I think of those as related, but different. So yeah. I get confused a lot. So I doubt. Um, don't know mind. Peace. Um, Nirvana. Yeah, it's a good band too. Uh, <laughs> your favorite word, equanimity. Oh, equanimity. Um, the secret. Yeah, it's good. Drama. <laughs> uh, I, I oh, sorry, I have something called drama du jour. Do you have a thought that's the drama du jour? Uh, so I want to say du jour. Um, <laughs> drama, keep it on stage. Uh, what I'll say. <laughs> not that's in your good. life. That's good. <laughs> I'm not doing the one word thing well, am I? <laughs> no, no, it's good. It's good. It's funny because the, the teacher that I was telling you about that you remind me of. She always told me that you can't have good art without drama. So it was always like, it was always that joke where if somebody's girlfriend broke up with them or whatever, she's like, ah, well, you know, there's going to be a song in it. There's going to be something out of it. Uh, I got two more for you. Comedy. Comedy. Uh, A blessing. California. Oh, sorry. I live here now. (laughs) Yeah. Versus New York City, uh, which I love too. Yeah, yeah. I think of California as a healthy place to live. I was out there like we were uh, saying on email and I absolutely fell in love with it. Um, It was my first time in California and really, really loved it. So I'm looking forward to coming back. When I first came out here, I said, you know, I I was calling back to New Yorkers and I was saying, you know, it's like a Disney movie here. There's flowers all year round and 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 i keep waiting for the birds to come dress me you know <laughs> it's a disney movie out here one uh, thing i kept telling people was and maybe it's because a lot of my influences came out of that area in the 80s and 90s with the music and l- loving that sound and the studios were there and the venues were there the bands came from there they moved there but i was like yeah i got off at lax got in the car got got in the rental car I'm driving to my Airbnb and I'm like, I feel like I've been here before, but I've never been here before. And I don't know if you had a similar feeling, but I just, I felt so comfortable. <laughs> like I'm just cracking up thinking about it, how comfortable uh-huh. I was. And it's like, man, I got to get back out here. This is. Well, that's, that's a sign. Yeah. 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 Yeah, no, I remember when I first went up to Big Sur, you know, and I because I was from Ohio and then New York City, which is its own animal. And I, you know, I drove up the coast and it was the cliffs and the ocean. I was like, oh, my God, this is so exciting and dramatic and beautiful. And then I went up to Big Sur and I went, oh, there must be a sign on heaven saying back in 10 minutes, gone to Big Sur. Because I said, God is here. God, whatever God is, God is here. This is just so gorgeous. and. I, you know, I live in Santa Monica where I can see the ocean and I still, it, it doesn't get old. I still I, go, oh, it's wonderful. <laughs> I, I went down to go see my, the last night I was there, I went down to Manhattan beach. Cause I have a cousin who uh, does real estate there. And he's like, you got to check out the houses. It's like Maui, but it's, it's more condensed. And, um, or I'm sorry, Mal, I'm excuse me, Malibu. Meant and, Malibu, not Manhattan. Yeah. yeah. And, um, 
so I went on my way down. I went to Santa Monica and I got there at the perfect time, right at sunset. Oh, and I'm walking around. And I'm thinking, man, this beach, just the, the sand, the depth of the, the sand is I, what, what do you think? Eight times wider than the East Coast. I mean, the amount of beach that you guys have over there where the Ferris wheel is and. Oh, and, on the Santa Monica Beach. Yeah, yeah. That's, a, that's a big beach. Yeah, I, I think of like because I used to go to Myrtle Beach and on the East Coast and I, I went to high school in Florida. And, you know, they're, they're totally different. Totally different. And events. And, you know, there the waves just kind of lap here. The waves come and it's dramatic. And that would just talk about drama. I would just love that. But yeah, no, there's a, a lot of beach. You can go a little further up the coast where the highway's right next to the water. So there'll be different places where there's different beach but it, it depends on where on the east you're talking about i just remember myrtle beach being this flat hard sand forever well, you know and it's just it's, a, it's like here's the building and here's the ocean where in california here's the building here's the ocean and everything is just sand yeah. and it, it was, I was out there with like a suit on cause I, I was at meetings before and I'm just, everybody else wow. is just walking around with shirts Good. off. They have their skateboard. Wow. I have this suit on and I'm oh, like, ready to jump in the water with my suit on. It was just, it was great. You know, I've seen people go down there and just take off their clothes and go in the ocean. You oh, know? Yeah. They're like, it's California. Anything's cool here. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but there are places like on Malibu, there's homes where the, the ocean comes right up to the house. Yeah, yeah. There, there's different, you know, places with different relationships. But what you're talking about is right literally less than a mile from my front door. I was right, I was right there. I totally right had there. a brain fart. So the next yeah. time I'm out, we'll we'll get yeah. lunch or something. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. 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 No, I used to what like when meditation teachers come and they go, Hi, I'm coming to Santa Monica. And I go, Okay, we're gonna go down on the pier, we're gonna go on the Ferris wheel. Like, that's what I think to do with a meditation teacher, take them on the Ferris wheel. You know? <laughs> Oh, trapeze. No one, no one has taken the trapeze yet. There, no one wants to do that. That's crazy. The trapeze down on there too. Yeah. Well, the last question I have for you is if you could go back in time to your 15 year old self, knowing what you know now, what would you tell her? Oh, I ask everybody. Relax. This, this is don't judge. Um, yeah, probably relax. Don't judge. That's probably what I, I would think to say. My 15 year old self wouldn't listen. Right. <laughs> right. My 15 year old self would say, F you, you know? Uh, like, yeah. you know, I care what everybody thinks. I was in the, I was in the, oh, wanting to be popular and a cheerleader. And oh my God, it was just, I didn't want to play the oboe because my veins popped out on my forehead and I didn't want people to see, you know, and I was really good too. So I was like, I'll go around the corner and play so you can hear me, but I didn't, you know, wow. I wow. was so, I was so into our, you know, how we appear and me, our, me too, me too. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this was incredible. Let's, let's Thank take you. a chance to, to just tell the viewers and the listeners where they can find more about you. You are prominent on clubhouse, which is great. I'm on, I'm on clubhouse Mondays and Fridays at 12 noon Pacific time. I guide a meditation that's free. I'm on all over the insight timer app. Just go there and search for me. And I've got some recorded meditation, some courses. I do live sessions. Um, 
I'm on Instagram. I'm now doing this. The young people have taught me Instagram and I'm doing these little short, fun little videos like, you know, meditation in 60 seconds on Instagram. That'd be Stephanie underscore underscore Nash. Um, and my website is strategic, as you said, strategic dash hyphen, strategic hyphen mindfulness.com. And on there, I've got courses and um, there's all sorts of ways to reach me. And there's a YouTube channel that I have to go back to now. I think I stopped putting things on there about six years ago or seven. Uh, but I have two YouTube channels, one for my teacher, one for mine. And a lot of people, when I did the, uh, there was a Buddhist Dharma teacher gathering uh, from people all over the world. And there was a young man from Peru or he was from Colombia. And he said, oh, my girlfriend works with sounds and how you feel emotions from hearing sounds. And I said, I do that. He said, yeah, she uses, she, she got it from your YouTube video. Wow, wow. And I just went, wow. So it's like the YouTube videos ha ha have been out now. I can't tell you how many people have said, oh, you were my practice. Like someone in Denmark said, oh, I, I watched your videos for years. And I thought, God, I got to go back and look at those and see what's up, you know, because I have to go back and 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 uh make sure you know everything's good but so far no one has complained but so there's i'm all over youtube and yeah i'm around <laughs> well, we'll have all the links in the description box below right. and uh yeah definitely um th this was this was just great so really really appreciate having you on Thank you. This is maybe my longest interview ever. We weren't thinking we were about a two-hour block done, here, though. but it, it yeah. went by pretty quick. Yeah, no, it was good, but but we we covered important stuff, I think. So again, I just want to thank you for first off. You know, what's wonderful at your age, you're doing this podcast and you're kind of putting yourself out there in this interesting way with all the musicians and stuff. But to take this time and this platform to do stuff like this, or I, I watched another one you do with a woman who was a cancer researcher, mm -hmm. you know, to take time on a music thing going, I'm going to bring in the cancer researcher. You know, I, you get it. I, I set a gold star on your chart, although the young boys I worked with would go, and there is a chart, right? Where, where is the chart? And I went, oh, dear. Uh, <laughs> you know, but, but it's really wonderful that, that you're exposing your, um, your audience to these healing modalities and these, what I think of as evolution, Right. Uh, and, and so right. I want to kind of congratulate you and just kind of send a wave of appreciation to you for well, thank you. the fact you're doing this and have been doing this because it's using, using, use the force for good, Luke. You're using the platform for good. And, and in addition to all the other stuff, it's also serving, but um, I do, especially as a young man, that's you're ahead of your years in terms of, uh, having a consciousness about the importance of that stuff. So thank you. Well, thank you. And thanks for taking the time to share the knowledge and the experience. And it's really been great having you. And uh, for those of you watching and listening, uh, as, as Stephanie said, check out her material in the description box below and her social handles and, and go check out her clubhouse uh, meditation times it was fantastic that's how we were able to connect there if you guys are on clubhouse for those of you that are if not hit me up i'll get you in somehow uh 
I think everyone can be on it now. Okay. They changed it. Okay. Okay. Yeah, everyone can be on it now. That's cool. That's cool. So, uh, yeah, you guys have been watching, listening to the Jason D'Amico show. Shout out to Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, and Simplecast. And we'll see you guys on the next one. Peace.